Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Over the decades, this program has taken a keen interest in electricity. It is the most extraordinary stuff. You know, we all do this, the whole world does this, uncountable billions of times a day, turns on the electricity. It does more for the quality of life and for the life we live and the life we have enjoyed than almost anything else. And we have it in the home, we have it at work, and of course you would not be able to watch this program without it. So it is with that great pleasure that I've assembled some experts to talk about the future of electricity because the electric utility is challenged. It's challenged by the need to remove carbon from fossil fuel generation, it's challenged by the changing weather, and it's challenged by the regulatory structure which we have, which is not always compatible with the political pressures on the utility. To discuss this, we have one man who knows more about it than anyone else. And as we look at the future of the infrastructure of utilities, he is going to be a keen player. He is Ashad Mansour, President and CEO of the Electric Power Research Institute, Robert Schwartz, President and CEO of Anterix, and Clinton Vince, Chair of the U.S. Energy Practice of Dentons, the world's largest law firm. Ashad, how do you see the future for utilities? Well, first, thank you very much for the invite. It's a pleasure. And we are not owned by utility as a nonprofit research organization. We are owned by the public, but we engage with utilities and national labs and universities with our 1,100 researchers. Uh, I actually think and we you know, looked at the numbers and the data. This is not the most challenging thing for the electric utilities, but a net zero future has the biggest opportunity for the electricity sector. It's not gonna be easy, but when we get to net zero future, and we have to, it's clear that we have to address climate change in a more urgent way. It is the biggest opportunity for the electricity sector because Electricity in most cases will be the clean fuel that will decarbonize outside the electric sector. How do you conceive the future of the electric sector? Uh, there are those, including myself, who think we're going to see a tsunami of demand for electricity as more electric vehicles take to the streets in the coming decade. I think you're absolutely right, Llewellyn, and I really um, also appreciate Arshad's comments. I think we have a tremendous amount of instability right now. The world's volatile. We've had the pandemic. We've had global warming that you've mentioned. We've got uh, a dramatic increase in cyber intrusion. And so, you know, if I were to boil our need down to one word, it would be resilience. I think the challenge moving forward for utilities and beyond is to maintain resilience while decarbonizing and dramatically changing our utility infrastructure. I'm very optimistic that this will happen. They're talking about it in Glasgow. They will uh, be focusing on this um, in uh, major legislation that the Biden administration is seeking to pass for both infrastructure and for um, uh, reconciliation. There's a lot of money 
in the uh, proposed legislation for grid modernization, essential things like that. But we, um, if you look at the situation in the United States, just over the last year, we've been unprepared in many situations. We've had the California crisis of um, when they had a heat wave last summer with rolling blackouts. We've had the devastating storm Uri that um, killed about 200 or more Texans and put 4.5 million people into freezing conditions without electricity. And most recently we had Hurricane Ida, which devastated the uh, utility infrastructure in Louisiana, caused a lot of suffering and billions of dollars of damage. So we really have to modernize our infrastructure. Um, that's very interesting. And part of that modernization, Robert Schwartz is where your company comes in, that you're in an age of where uh, digitization is one of the future uh, strengths of almost every aspect of human endeavor, but particularly of electric utilities, as they uh, um, use more and more uh, of data and seek more data, they need a way of moving it around, right? Absolutely, Well, And again, thank you for having me here. And I'm honored to be here with uh, leaders like Clint and Arshad to talk about the topic. You know, for, from, from our standpoint as entrepreneurs, really coming from the telecommunication space, but now really having had, I think, a pretty full tour of duty in the utility space, we've watched the evolution of communications, right? Going from old copper wireline networks to now the, the, the high-speed data networks that, that our entire ecosystem, our economy, our consumers rely upon. And what, we're, what we realized from that from that paradigm is seeing the shifts that are occurring, right? The, an, an unprecedented confluence of events that Arshad and Clint are talking about, you know, decarbonization requirements, weather events, cybersecurity challenges. While these are big challenges, what we're seeing as we're going around and meeting with utilities, listening to leadership of EPRI, what Denton's does, and, and, and a lot of your writing is seeing the opportunity and the and, and all of the utilities leaning in, setting decarbonization objectives, changing the way they're looking at these issues. And a key part of that from our perspective is about the digitization of these networks, right? The, the ability to create communications so that there's a much greater situational awareness, a greater ability to control new two-way uh, communications between these networks that were traditionally legacy, you know, single directional networks and the ability to have vast deployment of sensors and controllers so that you can have a much better capability of keeping that resiliency that Clint talked about, the ability to, to control networks, know where the energy is coming from, where it's going, and, and as consumption patterns are changing, which they are dramatically, being able to adapt quickly with that. So we're excited about that as entrepreneurs coming into the space, seeing all the leadership now coming together. Um, that's, that's very exciting for us. Ashad. Um, how do you see this digitization? You said to me, I believe, that it was going to be so dramatic that you, you could wring much more electricity out of the system without new construction. I think you said that even applied to hydro dams. How is data going to change the electric industry? Um, I think data, and more importantly, the information that you derive from data, will rewrite the way we plan, design, build, operate the entire infrastructure. And when you mentioned dam, when you mentioned transmission line, let me give you an example. 
So imagine you mentioned the weather in 2040 and 2050 is not going to be the same weather. More frequent, more severe, wind, ice loading. So let's say you have a transmission line infrastructure that was designed 70 years ago, and it was designed, let's say, to 120 miles an hour wind. How do you know in 70 years that still can handle 120 miles an hour wind? Well, there are sensors we call strain gauge sensors. You put it on the line, you wait for a naturally occurring weather event, a storm, maybe a category two storm at 70 miles an hour. You can then through the data from the sensors, see how the transmission line is responding to a 70 miles an hour wind speed. And then science will enable you to forecast, predict that if the wind speed was actually 120 or 145, how the line would have responded. That's just one simple example on how data-driven analytics will drive the maintenance and operation. But the biggest opportunity for communication embedded with the utility are uniquely focused on customers. The average US household that earns $45,000, family of four, have two cars, they will benefit the most because communication will enable their energy appliances, their water heater, their air conditioner, to actually be a resource for the electric utility for which the customer will get paid. A water heater could be a $1,000 resource for the utility as a system resource, and the customer gets that $1,000. But you can only enable that with a complete digitization of the grid all the way from the customer appliances to all the way up at the control room. And that's the biggest opportunity, reducing customers' energy costs and making energy more affordable while we build a more resilient grid and a cleaner grid. It feels like you can have your cake and eat it too, but if you do the math, that's what we can do. Um, Ashad, as we're going into the winter, Europe is in a full energy crisis, as is uh, China, uh, terrible shortage of liquefied natural gas. Part of the European problem has been an over-reliance on wind, and then and the wind didn't blow for six weeks, which wasn't anticipated and has been remarkably catastrophic. Uh, what are the chances that we're going to over-rely on one new source of energy and deprive ourselves of the old sources prematurely? Um, I think the most important thing is the way we plan the electric grid, the energy system, will need to be completely rethought as we do the transition. Because now, not just wind variability on a season to season, we may have a wind drought in a 10-year time, in a one year, which is what you're seeing in Europe. You're also seeing in Europe, a lot of natural gas resources have been shut down. So reliance on bringing natural gas from outside, that's also causing an issue. The biggest challenge that we have to do as engineers and scientists is, it's easy to say we'll be net zero by 2050 or 50% reduction by 2030, but very hard to plan the right way to get there. And in that planning, you will need resources. You will need gas turbines. There will be countries that will be needing coal power plants. Transition has to be done just from a reliability point of view, from a resiliency point of view, and from the point of view of equity and environmental justice. So yeah, it's a daunting challenge. You know, you're trying to change the engine of an airplane while it's flying full of fossil fuel. 
that's an important thing about electricity that people forget it's real time and it has to remain real time. You can't sort of park it and re-engine re the system and then turn it back on. Uh, Clint, how do you see the future? Do you see it as, as very troubled? I think we have to um, get the transition right, as Arshad just correctly pointed out. And I, I love the fact that both Arshad and Rob talked about the need to modernize our digital infrastructure as part of what has to be done going forward. Many people think of infrastructure as just roads and bridges, but um, the digital revolution really needs to be harnessed. There'll be a lot of good news with that, but there also needs to be some uh, social governance to uh, catch up with it. Social governance is has been far behind and you now see a major movement with corporations and beyond to um, move in a direction called ESG, environmental social governance, which I think will also be transformative on the topics that we're discussing. But when you mention uh, the problems in Europe, it's fundamentally a resilience problem now and a um, selection of uh, single sources of generation without uh, paying attention to the, the need for transition. One of the things, Rob, that we ran into in, in California during the wildfires was that the utilities were not able to communicate sometimes even with the state and with the authority fighting the fires, let alone with the public who are about to have uh, preemptively their electricity turned off. Um, um, how would uh, better communications have operated and how would they be secure in the, that sort of tumultuous situation? Yeah, so, well, it's a great question. You know, historically, utilities have really always relied on private communications. There's a long history of the need to have their own private networks so that they can have that level of resiliency, reliability, right? If a, if a tree falls on a, on a, on a line, a communications tower, their crews can go restore it how they need it, when they need it, and they build it to the level of, of resiliency that they require. Now, what's happening is, as we know from, you know, the devices we have in our pockets, the, the, the LTE devices that really allow us to do so many things on a network. Originally, we were making just phone calls. Now, all the ideas are converged into that single device that we're, you know, hailing taxi cabs and, and ordering food and doing, you know, balancing our checkbooks. And industrially, you know, mobile workforces are doing unbelievable amounts of things through that same kind of channel. But a, a, a private broadband network is part of the essential aspect of what is required and in california specifically there's really been some unbelievable leadership from some of the utilities san diego gas and electric specifically these are applications that run on a network so for someone like them that's fighting uh, dealing with wildfires they've deployed a technology that allows them to literally prevent wildfires by depowering a power line in, in the 1.4 seconds it takes between when it's broken and when it gets to the ground. And you can imagine the impact. That's just an application on a shared network of, of theirs that can do so many other things. It can deal with um, you know resiliency issues. Uh, what can we do to stop arcing and fires? <laughs> um, we have been dealing with fire from the day that human came in the earth. I think that it is not, not a one solution. So first, it's not just climate change urbanization, we are moving to places where we didn't move. Cities are growing. 
and deforestation is happening, that's contributing to the wildfire. I think the first thing you need to do on wildfire, and that's where utilities and fire departments and states come in, we need to have micro level sensor to look at where that fire is starting first and be able to detect in seconds. And second, what we would need to do is again, sensors and communication to fast respond to make sure the lines that are more prone are in the area we shut it down. And then the third or the most important thing is not the third important is, what do you do with customers who could be served from that line? It could be hospitals, it could be police stations, it could be patients in a house that needs electricity. So now you really have to look into the grid in a very narrow way. And when you take a line out, you need to know how many customers will be impacted. What are the types of customers? And we'll need to figure out how to have backup resiliency. Resiliency is not only about more generation, more transmission, more distribution. Yes, you will need more of that and stronger. Resiliency is also about customers. Can they be resilient if a wildfire turns the power off? A great example of resiliency outside the infrastructure is, you know, we're all waiting for next year for the largest selling passenger car in US, which is Ford F-150, to be electric. How does it play in resiliency? Well, the Ford F-150 will have an option with five outlets inside the Ford F-150 pickup truck that can power many things in your house for two to three days while the power is gone. So now you're getting resiliency from your electric vehicle. And this opportunity of electric utilities partnering with transportation industry, electric utility partnering with school bus authorities. There are 480,000 school buses in US. If those school buses are electrified, they don't operate for 80% of the time. You know, once the students are in the school and once you take them back, the school buses are sitting. Well, those sitting school buses become a resource. So a fundamental change in thinking and new approaches would be needed sooner than later, which is a utility infrastructure is no longer just generation, transmission, and distribution lines. It is that school bus. It is the battery that's in your house. It is the microgrid. It is, and all these things that you are going to bring in now to operate an even more complex grid, guess what's the center of that? Information, communication, data analytics. That's great, but what about new hardware? Aren't we going to have to just, because of the new demands, particularly in transportation, generate more electricity, whether we do it with very desirable alternative energy or whether we put in more gas turbines because they're very efficient or whether we succeed in resuscitating the, uh, the nuclear industry, which is not doing well in this country at the moment. Um, what, what do you all three think of that? But let's begin with Ashad. You need the smart communication infrastructure to reduce your burden on the grid. So for example, smart charging will allow you to charge more during nighttime when electricity is plentiful, but that alone will not solve it. You will need resources. You will need a lot more transmission. Our biggest challenge on meeting a 20, 30, 50% reduction, forget about net zero, 
is can we build a transmission infrastructure in the next nine and a half years that will support that many are forecasting would be a 3x to 4x growth on wind and solar in the United States. So transmission, hot, putting steel on the ground, it still will be needed. What the smartness will do, the grid modernization will do, will make sure we're not just solving this issue with steels on the ground. We are using customer resources, we're using demand management, we're using load flexibility. So it is a combination of both that will make the electric grid ready because two thirds of the emission worldwide in the US is not the electric sector, is the rest of the economy. And the electric sector shouldn't be too clean too fast because then you will bring in the issues of re resiliency and cost that will deter the transportation sector, the industry and the buildings to decarbonize. So it is a, it is an interconnected system. Just focusing on let's get the electric sector 100% clean. You know, Canada and France are two countries. Their electric sector was 90% clean in 20 years ago, in 2000, because of nuclear and a lot of hydro. But in the last 20 years, they have not been able to reduce any emission on buildings or industry or transportation. So just getting the electric sector clean that cannot be our main focus. It was our main focus, still is a key focus, but the, now the spotlight needs to go to the other sectors to start their glide path. Clint, how do you see the hardware future? Well, Arshad's correct that we need to uh, really dramatically increase our um, transmission infrastructure. You know, we have to get uh, renewables, wind and solar uh, to especially wind population centers. So we're gonna have to vastly increase our transmission network. I think that we are going to also have to um, develop some technology that we don't have right now. We really need longer duration uh, battery and energy storage um, in order to deal with the intermittency of uh, renewables. And I think we also um, really need to do the types of things Rob talked about in terms of having um, LTE networks. That's the basic telephone system we have today, right? That's LTE. Exactly right. Yeah. And it's secure. Rob can explain it in a moment, but we, we will really benefit from those type of networks, not just moving um, data much more quickly, but also protecting against cyber intrusion. We, we haven't talked too much about cyber, but you just saw this year the Russian hacks. You saw the colonial pipeline shutdown, which is alarming because it was an attack at scale and showed the possibilities of what effective cyber intrusion uh, can do to our systems. So that's a big deal. Arshad talked about the uh, urban migration that is really going to impact everything we've been discussing tonight. We're more than half our population now lives in cities. By 2050, there'll be another 2.5 billion. Um, Rob, uh, how do you see the future of hardware? And to put in your systems, do you need a big build out, a big hardware build out? And what does it cost? 
Sure. Well, I think I, you know I agree with what both Arshad and Clint said that it, it's a it's a combination. It is the it is the infrastructure investment and with new technologies and 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 there as completely with Clint Clint that there there needs to be and will be I'm confident further evolution of some of these groundbreaking technologies, especially storage as a complement to the renewable energy sources that we're talking about. Um, and I think the the. I think Arshad said the grid intelligence is such an important piece, and that that's a that's a comprehensive. It's it's you know what the internet did for information flow in our, in our globe. It's going to do for the utility infrastructure the ability to have that level of intelligence that brings an efficiency, an incredible level of efficiency. So it says that you don't just have to brute force produce more power. You can create so much more efficiency in the way that power is being generated and consumed. And I think that's that's a big part of breakthrough. But to get to your question, Llewellyn, about the, about the communications requirements behind that, Clint mentioned LTE. It stands for long-term evolution. It's the technology that every major wireless carrier on the globe uses. So there's economies of scale. All the major manufacturers of the infrastructure, the handsets we carry, the, the devices that get mounted to a pole to communicate the sensors, they're being created on, on, on global scale. So you have the cost efficiency. So it's not a cheap solution, but it's a very cost efficient solution, meaning the the, the return on investment that, that a utility can get. And we've been traveling the country working with, with US utilities on deploying these. We've got now we've announced Ameren and 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 San Diego Gas and Electric and recently Evergy are building. LTE networks. Southern Company already has one. And what they're doing with that cost effectively is first consolidating all of the legacy infrastructure. And I think this is a key thing to Clint's point of cybersecurity by putting in secure networks that are resilient as a starting point, but then quickly being able to capture the value because it's it's it, there is a cost to it, but the return really ultimately for the consumer is, is very substantial. The ability to, to operate these networks more efficiently that translate into, into value for the, for the consumers, for the ratepayers as well. Shad, can we upgrade or uprate uh, the, sm the smart meter, get more out of smart meters than we're getting out of them at the moment? Oh, absolutely. And it's not just smart meter. It is you can upgrade and upgrade existing transmission lines. So if you have a hard time building lines, you can actually push more power through the existing line once again through sensors. On smart meters, you know, a smart meter is not going to last 100 years or 50 years or 30 years like a transmission line lasts. So we have already started the change out. The biggest opportunity for smart meter is what we call a com comprehensive interoperability and an open platform. An open platform means you should be able to write apps down the road that will use the data to make new applications. Can we just clarify a little moment here? What is a smart meter and how many Americans have them? What is the penetration? Roughly more than half of US household has smart meter. And, and the number changed. Most of well, 60 million plus. Ashad, as one of our voices at COP26, it is so nice of you to take the time to spend with us. And Rob Schwartz of Terex, thank you for joining. And Clint Vince, almost a regular on this program. Lovely to see you. Until next time, that is our show. And do value that electricity. You would miss it when it goes out. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.